so worthy. He is so worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. He is so worthy. He is so worthy. You may be seated. We are so delighted to have each of you here with us this morning at High Point Church. We're just so glad to have you a part of our worship this morning. We have certainly been blessed already. We enjoyed a tremendous, powerful, well-meaning, timely Bible study class this morning. And uh, we could go home now and know that we have been blessed by the word of the Lord. Amen. The songwriter said, A friend when other friendships cease, a friend when others fail, a friend who gives me joy and peace, a friend who will prevail. A friend to lead me in the dark, a friend who knows the way, a friend to steer my weak, frail bark, a friend my debts to pay. A friend when sickness lays me low, a friend when death draws near, a friend as through the veil I go, a friend to help and cheer. Friendship with Jesus, fellowship divine. Oh, what blessed, sweet communion. Jesus is a friend of mine. Friendship with Jesus fellowship divine. Oh, what blessed, sweet communion. Jesus is a friend of mine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you would stand one more time. Two very short passages I share with you this morning before we get into the text of our message for today. Proverbs 3 and 32, I read from the NIV, NIV says, For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. James chapter 4 and verse 8 very short passage that says, I'm only going to use part of it that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thanking you once again today for this gracious and marvelous opportunity that we have to be in your presence. For the joy and the feeling that we have here today of your presence that is so overwhelming. We ask you today as we come to this portion of the service and the ministry of your word, I pray that you'll anoint this vessel in these lips that we might articulate your word today as you have given it to us. I pray that it will be a blessing and a challenge and an encouragement to all who hear. We pray that you'll anoint each one to receive and we'll give you the praise for it. It is in the name of Jesus we do ask it today. And everyone said amen. Today I want to preach a little while about developing your friendship with God. Developing your friendship with God. And you may be seated. Let me ask you this. Are you really and truly interested in developing a friendship with God? I mean a real friendship. 
You see, you and I are as close to Jesus Christ as we choose to be. I could stop right there and give the benediction prayer and go home and you have heard a message in and of itself. You and I are as close to Jesus Christ as we choose to be. You see, like any friendship, we must work at developing our friendship with God. Friendship doesn't happen just accidentally or happenstance. It takes desire and it takes time and it takes energy to develop a true friendship. Amen? If you desire a deeper, more intimate connection with Jesus Christ, then you must learn to honestly share your feelings with Him. We must learn to trust Him when He calls you to do something. And we need to learn to care about what He cares about and desire His friendship more than anything else in the world. Amen. We must desire His friendship more than anything else in the world. You see, to develop our friendship further and, and to go ahead and to grow in our relationship and our friendship with Jesus, we must choose to be honest with God. He already knows what you think. He already knows the beginning from the end. Amen? You see, the very first and, and very important building block to a deeper friendship with Jesus Christ, in my opinion, is complete honesty. Honesty about our faults as well as our feelings. Jesus doesn't expect you and I to be perfect, but he does insist on complete honesty. You see, a search of the Holy Scriptures reveal that none of God's friends in the Bible were perfect. I haven't found one yet. And if perfection was a requirement or was a prerequisite for friendship with God, we would never to be able we would never be able to be friends with him. Amen. Fortunately, because of God's grace, Jesus Christ, as it was pointed out in Matthew eleven nineteen, is still friends of sinners. Amen. I have also noticed throughout the Bible that the friends of God were honest about their feelings. You wonder what you mean by that? Oftentimes they were they would complain. Second-guessing, accusing, and arguing with their Creator. However, I have also noticed that God didn't seem to be bothered by their frankness. Didn't alarm Him a bit. In fact, I submit to you that He encouraged their honesty and their frankness. And I'll prove that a little bit more as we go along. Amen? You see, I noticed that God allowed Abraham to question and challenge him over the destruction of the city of Sodom. They got into a pretty good exchange. Abraham, for the lack of a better term, he just pestered God. He, you know, he took him, you know, he, he pestered God to the point that, you know, what would it take to spare the city? Fifty righteous? Forty-five? He goes back like, look at, how about 40? Will you, will you spare the city for 40? Yeah, how about 35? On down till he got to the place of 10. Finally negotiated down to where God said, if there's 10 righteous in the city, I won't destroy it. Amen. That's a pretty frank conversation. 
I've also noticed that God also listened patiently to David's many accusations of unfairness and betrayal and abandonment. God did not only... uh, uh, Excuse me. You see, God did not... When Jeremiah claimed, brother, that God had tricked him, he didn't slay him. He didn't slay Jeremiah when Jeremiah accused God of tricking him. In fact, Job was allowed to vent his bitterness during his ordeal, and at the end, God defended Job for being honest. He rebuked Job's friends for being inauthentic. In fact, here's what the Bible says, and here's what God told Jacob's fair-weathered friends. In Job 42 and 7, he says, And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Amen? In one very startling example of frank friendship, as is recorded in Exodus 33, 1 through 17, you need to go read this and don't do it now while I'm preaching, but sometime this week, just sit down and read Exodus chapter 33, at least the verses 1 through 17. You can read the entire chapter. But God had honestly expressed his total disgust with Israel's disobedience. He said, Moses, I've had it. Take the tabernacle, move it outside of the camp, move it far, far and away. I'm not going to go with you people. I'm going to send you on to the promised land. I'm not going with you. I'm going to send my angel before you. And you're going to go on to the promised land, but as for me, now I'm going to watch this thing from afar off. I mean, God had had it up to his, you know, up to here with all of the business that was going on. In fact, you know, as I said, God told Moses he would keep his promise to give Israelites the promised land. However, he wasn't going to step one step farther with them in the desert. God was fed up, and he let Moses know exactly how he felt. He said, if you don't move me in this this tabernacle outside the camp, I'm going to come up on these folks and consume them in a minute. That's what he said. But I will also submit to you that Moses, speaking to God as a friend, responded with equal candor. In fact, it goes like this. In Exodus 33, verses 12 through 17, it said, Then Moses said to the Lord, You say to me, bring up this people, but... You have not let me know whom you will send with me. You, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also, that you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. That I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses just said to God, if you're not going to go with us, then don't bring us up. Leave us right here where we're at. Amen? For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. If time would permit, I would paraphrase all of that and bring it a little bit closer to home. But he spoke to God with candor and frankness because he was a friend of God. Amen? Now let me ask you this. 
Do you think God can handle that kind of frank, intense honesty from you and in your relationship and friendship with Him? I'll answer the question for you. Absolutely so. You see, genuine friendship is built on disclosure. Genuine friendship is built on disclosure, whether it's between you and God, whether it's between you and your spouse, whether it's between you and an individual you know or a family member. Friendship, genuine friendship is built on disclosure. What may appear as audacity, God views as authenticity. Amen? Jesus Christ listens to the passionate words of His friends. I will also submit to you that He is bored with the predictable, pious cliches that are often offered to Him as terms of friendship. To be friends of Jesus Christ, we must be honest with Him, sharing our true feelings and not what we think or how we think we ought to feel and how we think we ought to act towards Him. Amen? You see, there may very well be someone under the sound of my voice today who could very well need to confess some of the hidden anger and resentment at God for certain areas of our life or their life where they have felt cheated or disappointed. Oftentimes folks harbor anger and resentment towards God because things didn't work out the way they felt they should work out or something somebody else has done to them. You see, until we spiritually mature enough to understand that God uses everything for good in our lives. We harbor resentment towards God over our appearance. We harbor resentment over God towards our background. We harbor times people harbor a resentment to God because of unanswered prayers or past hurts or other things that, you know, we would change if we had the power and we were in God's place. I mentioned here a few weeks ago if I was had the ability, I would be a little taller. Just add three inches to my height and I would be physically fit. Simple as that. People oftentimes blame God, blame God for hurts caused by others. And this is what one, one writer by the name of William Backus calls your hidden rift with God. He knows our very heart. He knows our very feelings. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what's going on with inside of us. You see, bitterness is the greatest barrier to friendship with Jesus Christ. Whether it's bitterness towards God or whether it's bitterness towards another child of God. Amen? Bitterness is the greatest barrier to friendship with Jesus Christ. You see, the question oftentimes and posed, and as a pastor I hear this quite regularly, by those who have experienced some type of tragedy in their life is, you know, why would I want to be God's friend if He allowed this or that or some other thing to happen in people's lives? The antidote, of course, is to realize that God always acts in our best interest. I'll say that again. God always acts in our best interest, even when it's painful and even when we don't understand. I will tell you this, though. Releasing our resentment and revealing our feelings is the first step to healing. You won't hurt God's feelings if you tell Him you're mad at Him. You won't. He already knows. You won't hurt his feelings if you tell him, you know, you really ticked me off when you didn't answer my prayer. He already knows that. 
You know, I'm really ticked off at you, God, because you didn't smite so-and-so because they said such-and-such to me. He, He already knows that. Amen? I'm talking about developing your friendship with God. It's total disclosure. It's all or nothing. Amen? He's looking out for our best interest, even when it's painful and we don't understand. And again, releasing our resentment and revealing our feelings is the first step to healing. And as so many people in the Bible did, they told God exactly how they felt. God told Moses one time, if you destroy them, destroy me. If you wipe them out, wipe me out. Just take my name off the book. Amen? You see, in my opinion, God gave us the Psalms to instruct us in candid honesty. It's simply a worship manual, if you will, full of, uh, uh, for the lack of other, uh, better terms, ranting and raving and doubts and fears and resentments and deep passions combined with thanksgiving and praise and statements of faith. Amen. If you haven't read the Psalms lately, you ought to do that because you'll find a lot of that. David pounding his fist on the desk saying, God. Amen? When you read the emotional confessions of David and others throughout the Psalms, you realize and you remember that this is how God wants us to worship Him, holding back nothing or what you feel. We can pray like David did. He says in Psalms 142, verses 2, and first part of verse 3, said, I pour out my complaint before Him. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, God, here it is. I'm pouring out my complaint before him. Before him, I declare before him my trouble when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Now, as for me, it's encouraging for me to know that all of God's closest friends, Moses, David, Abraham, Job, and so many others throughout biblical history had bouts with doubt. Amen? I I find it all through the book where those who he referred to as friends and his closest, his closest friendships were those who at one time or another had bouts with doubt. But instead of masking their misgivings with pious cliches, with pious cliches rather, they candidly voiced them openly and publicly in the face of God. Now, I'm not talking about an arrogant, disrespectful approach to God. I'm talking they simply expressed their deepest emotions and their feelings in the presence of God, which he already knew. So why not express them to him? They voiced them openly and publicly. You see, expressing doubt is sometimes the first step towards the next level of intimacy with God. Amen? Amen. Also, to develop our friendship with God, we must choose to obey Him in faith. This is where it gets difficult, perhaps. We must obey Him in faith. Every time we trust God's wisdom and do whatever He says, even when we don't understand it, we deepen our friendship with God. Amen? We deepen our friendship with God when we do it, even though we don't understand I don't know about you, there's times I just don't understand. 
For the most part, we don't normally think of obedience as a characteristic of friendship, do we? No, not really. You see, that's reserved for relationships with a parent or the boss or a superior officer, but usually obedience is not associated with friendship. Be honest now, amen? However, Jesus made it abundantly clear that obedience is a condition of intimacy with God. In fact, here's what he said. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The qualifier there is if you do whatever I command you, then you are my friends. Last week while preaching, I pointed out that the word Jesus used when he called us friends could refer to the friends of the king in a royal court, that inner circle, these close comrades, those who were allowed that access to him. While these close companions had special privileges, they were still subject to the king and had to obey his commands. Although they had open access and they could approach the king anytime, it wasn't like the servants, but these folks in that inner circle could approach the king. They could discuss openly with him. He could share with them. It was a camaraderie, yet they had to obey his word or be beheaded, one or the other. Amen? Please understand, we are friends with Jesus. Or, <coughs> excuse me. We are friends with Jesus Christ, but we are not His equals. He is our loving Savior, our loving God, and our leader. Amen? And we follow Him. Our obedience to Jesus Christ also should never be out of fear or compulsion. Let you think on that a minute. Obedience to Jesus Christ should never be out of fear or compulsion, but simply because we love Him, we trust Him, and we trust that He knows what is best for us. Amen? I don't obey Him because I'm afraid. I don't obey Him out of compulsion, but out of love. I follow His Word. I want to do His Word out of love because He has so graciously loved me. You see, our desire to follow Jesus Christ should be out of gratitude for all He has done for us. And the closer we follow Him, the deeper our friendship becomes. Oftentimes, unbelievers think we Christians, we born-again folks, obey out of obligation or guilt or fear of punishment when actually... The opposite is true. Because I have been forgiven and set free, I obey out of love, and that obedience brings great joy. Amen? Because I've been forgiven and set free, I obey out of love, and that obedience brings great joy. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, verses 9 through 11, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Developing your friendship with God. You see, it's important to note, true friendship isn't passive. True friendship is active. 
Amen? True friendship isn't passive, it's very active. When Jesus asks us to love others, to help the needy, to share our resources, to keep our lives clean, to offer forgiveness and bring others to Him, love should motivate us to respond and obey Him and to do it promptly. We are oftentimes spiritually challenged to do great things for God. Amen. When in actuality, Jesus Christ is more pleased when we do small things for Him out of loving obedience. They may oftentimes go unnoticed by others, but God notices them and He considers them, every one of them, acts of worship. (laughs) Hallelujah. You see, the truth is, great opportunities may come once in a lifetime, However, small opportunities surround each and every one of us every day. Amen. Small opportunities surround us each and every day. Even through such simple acts as telling the truth, being kind, and encouraging others, we bring a smile to the face of God. Amen. God treasures the simple acts of obedience more than our prayers, our praise, and our offerings. And that's in the Bible. In fact, in 1 Samuel 15 and 22, his words through Samuel to Saul was this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Question. Behold, to obey, now here's the statement, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Just obey me, he's saying. That's, Amen. Moving on in our thought to develop our friendship with Jesus Christ even further, we must choose to value what He values. We are all through the process of being raised and the way we're raised and the environment that we are brought up in develop a set of values. Hmm, That's shocking, isn't it? (laughs) We develop a set of values. But one thing is important as we... We journey in this relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is we learn to value what He values. You see, that is what friends really do. They care about what is important to the other one, or to the other individual, or to the other parties involved in this friendship. Amen? The more we become God's friends, the more we will care about the things that He cares about. We'll grieve over the things that He grieves over, and we will rejoice over the things that bring joy to God. Because we care about what he, our values, his values become our values. Amen? Perhaps the Apostle Paul is one of the best examples of this throughout Scripture. You see, God's agenda and God's passion was his. Paul determined that whatever God wanted, that was his passion and that was his goal. I paraphrase 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. It says, the thing that has me so upset is that I care about you so much. This is the passion of God burning inside of me. Paraphrase of how David felt about the church when he told the church at Corinth. He said, you know, I espoused you unto one husband as a chaste virgin. David felt very much the same way. He said in Psalm 69 and 9 from the NIV, for zeal for, our, for your house consumes me. David said, zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Here's what David's saying. 
The passion and the zeal for the house of God had just literally taken him over. It had consumed his very being. And he's saying, God, when they insult you, they are insulting me. Amen. I suppose a fair question at this juncture would be, what does God really care about most? Fair question. What does God really care about most? And, you know, obviously to me at least, the answer to that question would simply be the redemption of His people. The redemption of humanity. That's at the heartbeat of God. Amen. More than anything else surrounding our lives or involved in our lives, the thing that, that concerns God the most and He cares the most about is the redemption of humanity. Amen. He wants all of His lost children found. And that's the complete and total reason God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is to redeem humanity. To truly be a friend of God, we must care about all the people around us. Amen. We must care about all the people whom God cares about. Friends of God tell their friends about Jesus Christ and His saving grace. Amen? I said friends of God tell their friends about Jesus Christ and His saving grace. Developing your friendship with God. I don't know, perhaps you stumble at the idea of being a friend of God. I find it one of the greatest honors and privileges known to the human race that as I can be called his friend. And I can call him my friend. And finally this morning, to develop our friendship with Jesus Christ even further, we must desire friendship with God more than anything else in the world. The Psalms are filled with examples of this desire. In fact, David passionately desired to know God above all else. When you read the Psalms, you'll notice that he used words like longing and yearning and thirsting and hungering to describe his desire to know God. And he craved God. In fact, he said in one place in Psalms 27 and verse 4, very familiar, he said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Does that not express His hunger for a friendship with God? Placing God first more than desiring that friendship more than anything else in the world. Amen. In another one of the Psalms, David said this in Psalm 63 and 3, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Amen. Jacob's passion for God's blessing on his life was so intent or intense rather, that he wrestled with God in the dirt all night. Saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. 
They all rolled around in the dirt. The dust was a flying. And he said, Jacob, turn me loose. I've got to go. No, I'm not turning you loose until you bless me. This went on all night. They roll around for another hour or two and wrestle and struggle. And you know how it is when you. Jacob, I've got to go. Turn me loose. I'm not turning you loose until you bless me. Now, watch this. To me, the amazing part of this story, this whole thing, is that God, who is all powerful, let Jacob win. He could have snapped Jacob like a twig. Get off of me and leave me alone. He could have brushed him aside. He could have just breathed on him and Jacob would have just rolled back in the dirt and dust and wondered what happened. But God let him win. When our boys were just toddlers and up until they got some size on them, they'd get three boys that want to wrestle with dad. We'd get in a... Get in the living room, you know, and, and you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. And boy, you know, I'd, I'd let them win for a while. Them three boys would get me pinned to the floor, and then all at once I'd just come up off the floor, taking all three of them with me. I wouldn't dare do that now. <laughs> As I'd get the surprise of my life. You ain't getting up, Dad. Just hang on, buddy. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> Oh, we'd wrestle around. We'd go at it for an hour. System and genius would be a nervous wreck. We're flopping around in the living room and kicking this piece of furniture and that piece of furniture. And I'd hold him down for a while and they'd hold me down for a while. And I'd let them win for a while. And next thing you know, I'd come up and pin all three of them down at once. God let Jacob win. He could have left the scene at any given moment. Jacob up hanging on. I'm not turning loose. He can bless me. We're going to be here wrestling all night, God, because you see, I want the blessing. Amen? God let him win. You see, God isn't offended when we wrestle with him. Folks, there's times we just need to get down to business and wrestle and say, I'm not turning loose till you bless me. We're going to go at this for a while. Amen? Because wrestling requires personal contact and it brings us close to Him. It is also a passionate activity and God loves it when we are passionate with Him and for Him. Finally, He just smote Jacob in the thigh. He could have done that hours before. He could have done that in the onset of this little tangle that Jacob and God was having, and finally when it was said and done, it was daybreak, he just reached down and grabbed Jacob on the thigh. Hallelujah. Developing your friendship with God, you must desire that more than anything else in the world. You must desire more than anything else in the world everything that God has for you and I in His Word and for our lives. We must determine I'm not going to let go of it until He blesses me and I have that intimate friendship with Him. Amen. Paul was another man passionate for friendship with God. Nothing to Paul mattered more 
that his relationship and his friendship with Jesus Christ, it was his first priority, it was his total focus and his ultimate goal of his life. And perhaps, just perhaps, this is the reason God used Paul in such a powerful way. The Amplified Translation expressed the full force of Paul's passion as penned in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And most of you know this passage by heart, but the Amplified says it like this. My determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly. The truth is, we are as close to God as we choose to be. Intimate friendship with God is a choice. It's not an accident. We must intentionally seek it. As I close this morning, let me ask you a very few somewhat pointed and direct questions. Do you really want a friendship with Jesus Christ more than anything else? Do we really want, as a songwriter said, friendship with Jesus, fellowship divine? Oh, what blessed sweet communion. Jesus is a friend of mine. What is it worth to you? To embrace that kind of friendship, what would it be worth to you to know Jesus in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His suffering? Is it worth giving up other things? Is it worth the effort of developing the habits and the skills required in that friendship? Perhaps you may have been passionate about God in the past, but somewhere along the way you've kind of lost that zeal, you've lost that passion, and you've lost that desire. You see, that was the problem the church at Ephesus faced. They had lost, as the Bible said, they had lost their first love. They did all the right things. They were going to church. They were tithing. They were preaching the truth. They were doing all of those things. But the Lord said, you need to return to your first love. In essence, he said to them, you're not passionate about our friendship anymore. You don't seek me like you once sought me, Ephesus. They did all the right things, but they did them out of duty and not out of love and not out of that intimate friendship. Let me tell you this. If you've just been going through the motions spiritually, don't be surprised. 
if God allows a little pain in your life, a little discomfort. You see, pain is the fuel of passion. It energizes us with an intensity to change that we don't normally possess. In fact, C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone. I don't like pain any more than anyone else. But it does get my attention. In fact, when it comes to pain, I'm a wimp. I want it to go away quick. You see, it's God's way of arousing us from spiritual lethargy. You see, our problems are not punishment. But they are a wake-up call from a loving, caring God and Savior. If you're going through a little time of discomfort and God has given you a wake-up call, He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. There's a big difference. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And He'll do whatever it takes to bring you back into fellowship with Him. I I must tell you, there's a much easier way to reignite your passion for God. How many of you would honestly say to me this morning, Pastor, I really would love to reignite or to ignite my passion for God. As simplistic as this sounds, all we need to do is start by asking Him to give us a greater passion and a greater hunger and a greater desire for Him. Amen? Simply tell Him, Jesus, I want to get to know You more intimately. I want to know You in a greater measure than I've ever known before. That's what Paul was saying when he penned that I may know Him power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death he said I want to know you as a friend you see that true friend that best friend that closest friend of yours from the human perspective knows when you're hurting they're the first one you call when things fall apart they're the first one you let know can see your feelings and knows your expressions and I can tell when my wife's unhappy about something I said or done, she doesn't have to say a word. It's almost to the point we've been friends for so long that we can almost communicate in a room and never say a word to one another. I'm not talking about clairvoyance or anything like that. I'm just talking about being that close, that intimate. God told the captives at Babylon through the prophet Jeremiah, as you stand. They were over there in a foreign land, far, far away. 
from everything they knew and had come to know about God. He said through Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Oh, they were, in fact, at one point, as is recorded in the Psalms, they said, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our hearts on the wills in the midst thereof, for they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and said, How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And then Jeremiah says, And you will seek me, or God says through Jeremiah, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, more important than developing a friendship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship that will last forever. So let me ask you one more time. Have you been missing out on the most important thing in life? If you have, you can do something about it starting right now. Remember, it's your choice. You are as close to God as you choose to be only in Jesus do we meet a God who surveys the landscape of a broken world and rather than waiting for his world to come to him he decides to go to it only in Jesus do we encounter a God who chases after humans with a passionate almost irrational love only in Jesus Christ do we meet a God who has planned a way to fix the world of humans by becoming one. And finally in Jesus we meet this God who on his own decided to tap us on the shoulder and say, May I have this dance. Shall we sing?